Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Jesse Moore, and welcome to Icon Leadership Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Icon Leadership Podcast. Today, we will be talking about educational leadership, and today's guest is Meredith Brown. Hello, Meredith. How are you? I'm good. Hi, Jesse. Thanks uh, for having me. All right. No problem. Tell me, uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, um, I am currently a um, professor and program director at a local community college um, for radiologic technology, which is an x-ray tech. Um, I've been there at the college about 13 years and in the uh, program director role for about seven, going on eight years. Okay. How did you get into this field? Well, initially I was a clinical x-ray tech and I had started out um many years ago, I'm not going to say how many now, <laughs> but many years ago um, as an x-ray tech and I kind of moved up um, just naturally into a lead tech um, and then I moved back to Waco because I'd moved away a little bit and um, took on a supervisor role. So I just kind of transitioned into that kind of in my career, but it's still a working x-ray tech. And then after about a uh, little over five years, um, just the opportunity to teach came open. And I was always one of those that said I wanted to do something like nursing or teach, like when I grow up, that's what I want to do. And I just got blessed with an opportunity to go out to the college and teach the same field that I'd been working on in clinically. So, okay, great. So tell, tell us about your education. So at that time, I had an associate in radiologic technology from the same college that I'm now program director of that program. So it's really gone full circle for me. But after becoming a teacher, right around that same time, we uh, were required to actually have a bachelor degree, which it wasn't like that for a while, but they are, we have an accrediting body over our program and they required um, educators to have at least one level higher than what they were teaching, which makes sense. So I went back to school 13 years after the first time <laughs> and I got my bachelor's degree and then I said, no more, that's it, not doing anything else. And then after that, maybe eight months later, I found myself kind of trolling through some master's degree programs and I ended up applying and getting accepted at Texas Tech Health Science Center to do an online master's program which is what I have now and, and needed to have to become the program director. But at the time, I didn't know that opportunity was going to come when it did. Sure. Okay. So tell me, how stressful was that? Uh, well, I was a full-time working single mom at the time. And so um, it was hard to go back to school for the bachelor's the first at first. And then it was also, you know, quite challenging. I found myself carrying the backpack and books with me everywhere. And that wow. meant soccer tournaments on the weekend, soccer practice during the week, wherever I could, I, I just went with me. So when I actually finished, I was like, felt like I was missing something all the time. <laughs> right. So tell me, what what is your favorite part about being a professor? 
Well, gosh, there's so many. It's such a blessing to kind of have an opportunity, especially because I'm teaching in the field that I love so much. I was so lucky to stumble upon radiologic technology. And so to teach those that are going to go out in the clinical setting later and be working in our community, which by the way, this is a community that all my family lives in. I live in obviously with my kids. And so it's really important to me to, to uh, be able to hopefully impact them in a positive way to go out and be good clinicians, to be good x-ray techs out there. And because I know they're going to be my x-ray techs or right. my family's x-ray techs. So that is, you know, one component that is just really a blessing. And, and I love to watch those light bulb moments that my students have learning. Mm -hmm. um, I do not forget what it was like, even though it was all those years ago that I went through school and what it was like to really kind of learn this whole new language of radiologic technology of x-ray. And so I feel like I can still relate to being in their position, even all these years later, especially because I did go back to school later on in life too. Right. I know what they're going through. And right. there's a lot of non-traditional students where we're at. So that means students that are single parents that are working on a second career, whatever it may be. They're not all like I was. I was straight out of high school and into to the rad tech program, but they're not all like that. So now I can relate on all levels with them. And it's just nice to be that for them. Okay. So there's always a favorite thing, but then on the flip side, what's the least favorite thing about being a professor? Oh gosh. I mean, you know, not, it's not all roses and what do they say? Roses and puppies or puppies and butterflies or <laughs> right, anything like right. that. But, um, the, I don't really find a negative side to it. That's There's good, just though. so, it's so rewarding in a different way. Right. I mean, right. being in the clinical setting, I always said was professionally and personally rewarding to be able to help somebody and all that. And I get that equally mm -hmm. by teaching, but just in a different way. And like I said, it's watching those light bulb moments. It's watching them afterwards in their careers. I get to go out there and like I said, run into them either doing my x-ray or just when I'm visiting my current students. Now my former students are right there teaching them in the clinical setting or, you know, that's who they're working with. So it's just good to see that, I guess, product in the end sure. and they're out there thriving in their careers. And it's just, it's so incredibly a different way rewarding when it was. I get, clinical. It. I get, yeah. it. I get it. So tell me, so if someone wanted to be in a radiology program, you know, what must they do? So uh, in our program, and all of them are different, so depending on where somebody's listening from, they're going to have different requirements, but ours is an application-based program. It is an associate degree, so it does require general academics here in Texas that are ones that everybody has to have as part of their degree. So that could be your math and your English, um, a creative arts elective, psychology, those sort of things. We have a specific set of courses that you would want to take or have to take before being eligible to apply. There's a minimum GPA, um, and then there's, of course, filling out the application and that sort of thing. It is a competitive process, and um, there, you know, it starts out based on the GPA, but we also have an interview process now, which is a second step. And um, that is kind of a look at the cognitive side and the non-cognitive side, because Going into uh, a medical field period, you don't have to be a straight A student, but you do need to have some soft skills. Sure. We'll teach you the hard skills in the program. That's right. what we're going to do is the technical stuff. But once you are um, out there, there's got to be a component to you that 
you know, you're motivated and you're a team player and you're all these other things. So our interview phase looks at that. It's a very structured interview process. So, but it gives us a look on that non-cognitive side of things. Sure. I get it. I get it. So, uh, so what's a, what's a good GPA? For someone to have. It needs to be strong. It's hard to say. Our applicant pool has changed over the last um, few years even. But, you know, and it just needs to be really strong. I always just tell my applicants to do the best they can. As soon as they start working on those prereqs and corecs, it's not all A's. Um, but sometimes if you struggle and you have a C or a couple of C's, that definitely can really hinder that GPA calculation. Sure. So you want to take those prereqs, um, those general academics pretty seriously when sure. you get in and really work hard at them. Sure. So being in the classroom, there are a lot of, uh, you know, developments in the radiology field. So how do you keep abreast on all of that stuff? So um, as part of our field, um, first of all, as a rad tech, which I keep my registration certification nationally and for the state of Texas license, we have to do continuing education just like every other X-ray tech out there. But um, what I particularly like to do is not only gear my continuing ed for what is the latest trends and that sort of thing, but also what I can, what can help me in educating. So is it specifically on the course topics that I teach? Is it in an area that I need to know more about because it's changing and growing so that I can actually speak to my current students and be up to date? So continuing education is one of those ways that we do it too. We call it professional development in the education world. And a lot of my professional development, I definitely gear towards the teaching and learning theories stuff like that, and then I take the continuing education content and try to mesh them together. I get it. I get yeah. it. I get it. So, so you are the professor, and you are over the radiology program. So how many people, uh, how, many, how many people do you have to supervise? So we are a small department when it comes to faculty. So in my program sure. director role, we there's just three of us. Three? So okay. there's two others. One of them serves as a clinical coordinator, mm-hmm. and the other one as a faculty professor or um, instructor. And so um, we work together as a team um, and follow a curriculum and sure. each teach our own courses. And so I, I lead up the program in that way. And as a program director, I have other duties because we are accredited. I need to keep up with our accreditation things, our policies and procedures, that sort of thing. But I take a a big team approach to everything we do. Um, And then you could also say that the flip side as a professor, I'm leading, but I'm leading in a different way. I'm leading students in a classroom. And so in that manner, I could have anywhere between 20 and 30 students in a classroom. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. So tell me about your, your, your curriculum and how do you make sure that your teachers are following the curriculum? So in, um, in our type of program, being what it is, and because our students are going to sit and take a national registry exam at the end of things, we follow um, a curriculum guide that's put out by the American Society of Radiologic Technology, ASRT, and then that big registry exam, ARRT, which is American um, Registry for Radiologic Technology, they also give us kind of a, what they call um uh, specs that we can follow. So it's exam specifications that show from each of the four main areas that they're going to test what 
kind of an outline that mm-hmm. we follow. So we gear our courses to make sure that we cover everything in it. If it's a patient care class, they've got a list of patient care. If it's procedures, we've got that list. So it's kind of, it's put out there and our accrediting body also mandates that we follow something like that. So what we have to do though, is watch the updates and watch the things that change there as well. That's another place that we update our information. Okay. So, okay. So you, you have lectures. Mm -hmm. How do you manage to you know, engage, uh, keep, you know, engage the students during, during your, you know, your lectures. Yeah. Well, some of them would say I probably don't always do that very well. <laughs> no, some of them are hard to engage. And right, so sure. the one thing that I've learned through all the years of teaching now is that I do have to kind of try to read the room. I also have to put things out there in different ways because there's going to be people with different learning styles. Right. But the last thing I've learned is that you can't always make everyone happy. Sure. Um, and that was hard because initially when I first started teaching, um, I wanted to make sure that I hit everybody. But that was it was challenging not having not taught before. Um, and so a lot of that professional development that I did, I learned from other seasoned professors and some of the coursework that I did um, that you do want to try to do different methods. You also need to take your subject matter and figure out, is it a hands on way or is it really just kind of these are the concepts and this is what it is you know very science-based versus very hands-on procedures and things so it depends on what you're teaching as to what you can do I have some courses that is straightforward lecture and again I may have a hard time holding everybody's attention all the time because that's not always a fit for everybody in the room and then there's other courses coming up this next semester where it's pathology. It's a lot of looking at images and pointing and really, you know, talking it out. And then there's another one that's advanced procedures for me that we can go to the lab and we can do some things. And so that gets us out of just that lecture components. It's a lot more fun for me too. So it keeps me engaged even more. So 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 physics seems like that would be a you know, hard subject to teach. So how would, what, what's a, what's a strategy that you use to keep those, you know, students engaged in, well, so in the I, boring subjects? Yeah. <laughs> so I did that course for several years, but I do not do it anymore. We have um, a professor that joined us about eight years ago that just eats that stuff up and she's so good at it. And so what she does is she does think of ways to relate it mm-hmm. with common everyday stuff she's very creative and the way that she might use an analogy for something and that sort of thing I I can admit that I was not always that creative I'm just in awe sometimes of the things she comes up with and it really helps it stick for the students and she was telling me a story just the other day um, that sometimes it's just because something just happened in her own life that makes her use that as an example and then it helps the students remember and sometimes it becomes a little joke forum it's a funny thing and so it sticks with them more but you know when I taught the class I mean that that was one of those areas that sometimes it's just is what it is and that's all you can you know just talk about right (laughs) so 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 how do you how do you how do teachers show leadership in the classrooms so for me um what I strive to do most is more of a coaching and motivating um I think that our students in a sense need to um sometimes be driven and motivated in a way that helps them um 
not just with rewards, like we don't just, here's a grade for it, but they just need to be told that they can do it. If they work hard and they put in their effort, I also really try to gain their trust. And um, sometimes it's through, you know, hopefully it's through just my behavior every day and and how I'm there for them. And we all are. Um, But I also try to do it by letting them know kind of through statistics. I mean, I've now been there 13 years. I now have almost eight years of being in the program director role. I have student learning outcomes numbers. I have actual data that says we can get you through this. We can help you be successful. But I always say there's a but. You have to do your part too. We can't do it for you. Right. And so my motivating might be a little, I really shoot straight from the hip. I'm not going to really beat around the bush. I'm going to just tell you as it is. This is challenging sometimes. This is more challenging depending on your home life and other things. But you can do it. People have done it before you. Um, So I just try to motivate them in that sense of just, I'm like a cheerleader still. Like I was a cheerleader in high school. I I bring out my cheerleading. Sure. So you you do that with your students. Okay, so tell me, talk to me, how do you motivate your staff? Because, you know... Being a teacher is, 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 man, it can be, it can get very stressful, mm-hmm. you know, and so, because you have to deal with, uh, you know, a bunch of students, you and know. we have issues here and there. Right, yeah. right. So how do you, how do you encourage your staff? Say, you know, just hang in there. It's going to be okay. You know, yeah. how do you, how do you, how do you do go about doing that? So I, when it comes to, um, and even when I was clinical, I was kind of, I tried to be this way, but it's, it's easier. Of course, we are just a few of us, you know. But I take the approach with my faculty that we, I mean, we're a team. I am there as the program director. I have certain duties. Um, And yes, like, you know, you could say, quote, unquote, in charge of this or that. But they also have their responsibilities. I give them, they have the autonomy over their courses Mm -hmm. to a sense that we do come together collectively with that curriculum, make sure we're following guides and all of that. And so I give them that leeway. But it's also a team approach. And for me, the team approach is super important. So my support is that, you know, if you need me, I'm I'm here. I mean, right. anytime. If you need help with something, I'm there. But I'm also not a micromanager when it comes to that. Right. Um, I obviously know that if I had to step up into that, I would need to right. uh, with certain situations. But I've not been in that. I've been very blessed that we have passionate faculty member we have those that that in a sense we all really are like-minded with the ultimate outcome that we want which is important in a team is to be like-minded but at the same time oops we have our differences and so um that i think is what makes us strong is we can be like-minded but we also bring different things to the table that's how we work through things so for me leadership wise though i mean i'm very i I have that transfer transformational leadership style um, with still the motivation though. So say my faculty's taking on a new role or a new task. I mean, I'm going to be there to encourage them. I'm going to be there to help them, going to make sure they have the tools they need. Um, But, you know, and, and I'm also there to stimulate growth and ideas within our department. We can't always sit stagnant. We do have to look at outcomes. It's another requirement of accreditation. And so if outcomes are good, that's good. But where can we still get better? Sure. And if outcomes are bad, then obviously we need to make moves to 
to fix that. Sure. And um, but then again, I take it as a team approach. It's not just on me. I need their input. I want their input. I want them to be part of the solution. I think it's important for everyone to to feel that way. So, and I haven't had any resistance with that. I think everybody wants to do that. Okay. So okay. So you know, a lot of these kids that are in school, okay, uh, some of them look to uh, professors as uh, their mentor. Mm-hmm. So how do you, you know, uh, how do your, you know, your faculty deal with things like that? Do they, can they feel that, you know, could, can they feel the student out and say, Hey, look, I know this, this student here needs yeah. special, you know, attention. They want, they, they're looking at me as a, a mentor. Mm-hmm. So do you tell them, Hey, look, you know, our eyes are always on you. Yeah. You know, So they find they're, they're very lucky the way that the program's laid out that they have us and we've all been clinical techs with lots of years of experience. So mm-hmm. we've been there before we can speak from firsthand experience. They also though, they go out to the clinical settings. And so sometimes they find the perfect mentor there. And we're very blessed that we have, a lot of our former graduates in our clinical area, which is where our students are going for their practice. But yeah, you can, you know, within their first semester, which we just had with a new group, we just finished, you can tell when there's some that that need either more motivation, more encouraging, just more time to get it, to have those light bulb moments. And um, I think we're all good at, you know, kind of having that open door policy with our students again we want them all to be successful so if they're working they're trying they're coming to you for help then we're going to be there to help them um we you know we each want to do what we can to make sure that, that sure okay sounds good happens. man sounds yeah. good so leadership is important tell me how important it is in college um in college you know for the most part you know i talked about having my my faculty have give them autonomy. I mean, we also do that in a sense with our students, but you've got to have an organized plan. You've got to have a certain set of goals. Um, if somebody doesn't know what the end product is supposed to be, how are they going to get there? Right. So you do have to make clear expectations there and that go. goes with students Perfect. as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, it. clear expectations, um, Without them, you can't, how can you hold someone accountable for not meeting them? Or how can you make sure that you give them the tools so that in the, in the end, it's the goals and expectations are clear. Sounds good. Sounds good. So we we talked about, you know, these students that some of them need, you know, individual, you know, care. Mm -hmm. How do you meet students' individual needs? Some of them, they go out with, uh, some of them, uh, you know, have a hard time engaging. Mm -hmm. Some of them might lose a family member, and that really messes up, you know, the whole situation. Some of them might start a family, you know. And so how do you, you know, how do you do that? How do you meet their, you know, the individual needs? So, again, I mean, I think it's so, so many of those are very case by case because not one has ever been alike. They're similar stories like starting a family or, you know, in the midst of being in school or having some tragedy happen. But it seems like every time it's it's with different timing, it's with different needs. So we we literally just, again, we have an open door. Um, we start to become a family. It's two full years of right. being together. And we, you know, at first our students don't know really, but we we hope to put it out there very quickly that, 
we do have hearts. That's why we're in healthcare to begin with. We're compassionate and we're caring. Right. Yes, we have a set of rules and we have attendance policies and we have these things. But within reason, when something major happens, unexpected especially, we're going to take into consideration what can we do. So it's a different formula, it seems like, every time. But we have to stay very fair and consistent right. with our students. So... Um, it kind of still has to fall within a certain um, oh, guideline or a certain, there's only so much we can do sometimes, sure. but there are opportunities when maybe you can say, like we like to say life happens, right. that a student can even step away and have an opportunity to come back um, if, that, if that's what it takes. Now, if we can get them through it with a temporary setback, fine. But if it needs a little more time, then there's that opportunity sure. as well. Okay. So. so one of the hardest problems that leaders, you know, and teachers, you know, come across, one of the things is communication. Mm -hmm. How do you communicate to your staff? So and your students. Yeah. So with my with the faculty, we are constant communication with email. Uh, we copy each other on everything, <laughs> pretty much, because it's important for us. Um, as a team, to also know what's going on, especially with our students, even if it's not in our class. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't mean that I will step in and take care of anything. It doesn't mean I'll involve myself, but I'm going to teach them one class. They're going to be taught another. You know, some, we make sure that we're all informed. That helps us in the end help that student more. But um, communication, just program needs, things like that. We do have our, our meetings with faculty. Um, we do use email sometimes because we're all teaching at different times and in our office at different times. With our students, Brightspace is our learning platform. We make announcements all the time. We're probably, you know, flooding their emails, but we are constant communication. Again, it's about clear expectations. Now, I walk the fine line or think it is a fine line to make sure that we're not, what do you call it, um, kind of overdoing it sure. like giving them too much or actually kind of hand-holding um, because again you want them to find their own way they're adults on top of that so they have to take charge of what needs to be done so as long as it's communicated lots of different ways for class stuff uh, obviously when you're in front of them you can post reminders we use the even though we're face-to-face -face class, we use the online platform for communicating, for assignments, for all sorts of stuff. So we kind of do both, and okay. they can constantly see what needs to be done there. Okay. Yeah. So let's move around to, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm -hmm. All right. When you hear those words, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is really just um, probably the word differences or uniqueness. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's really the first thing that comes to mind. Right. So how important is diversity to you? So to me, um, especially, I have to go back to the team approach because that is one of those places that um, if you have all people on a team, for example, that all are exactly the same way, come with exactly the same ideas, and have, you know, whatever, the exact right. same thoughts, <laughs> you'll never, 
uh, there's just not there's not much to work with there. So you may not even reach your goal because of that. So when it comes to a team like my faculty or a team when I was in the clinical setting, I mean, I think everybody, again, needs to be like minded towards a goal um, and but yet have varying approaches. And I think that comes from everybody coming from different backgrounds, different upbringings, different cultural beliefs, different spiritual beliefs, different everything. And so um, it it kind of that's where our way of thinking comes from naturally uh, is our experiences before. So you want to have that Um, now in a classroom with students, we we don't um, discriminate in any manner, but we don't pick or, you know, choose based sure. on uh, differences like that. Right. They, it's on a very fair process that is based on, again, the GPA and then the interview scoring. Sure. So that one's a little bit different there. But if I was forming a team, I understand the need to have diversity and inclusion with that. Right, so. right. So how do you de-stress? How does Meredith calms down after so on friday on friday well listen my biggest means of de-stressing is just when i get home and actually when i pick my kid up from school and then i'm on my way home and just to be home i mean that that's just what brings joy to my heart too so i mean it's just a different kind you know i love being at work i love my work i couldn't see not doing i mean doing anything else but um it's relaxing to me to just be home. Now, I have my hobbies, and I, sure. I will call it um, my therapy. It's retail therapy. I'm a shopper. I like to <laughs> shop. Um, I like to bake as well. I like to, mm-hmm. you know, I like to, to um, my husband's a home builder, so I, I design and pick out all of those finishes. So that's a whole nother hobby for me, you could say. Kind of a job, too, but um I enjoy it. So I'm into the home interior stuff. I'm really into the home exterior and interior good, stuff. Good. So, All right. yeah. All right. Where is God at in your life? Oh, way up on the priority list there. Right. Yeah. yeah. So number one? Yeah. I mean, you know, we have an extremely strong faith um, and it supports me through everything and I mean again my life hasn't been all puppies and roses and everything and so my experiences come from a lot of things that I've gone through and it's only made me stronger but I believe 150 percent that I'm on a path that was coursed out for me by a higher power and that would be you know and and I'm not in control of everything that goes on so what advice would you give to a person who wants to get into the radiology program? Um, oh, gosh, I have lots of advice. But I would say the key thing is to to do do your research, you know, um, make sure you understand what the career involves. Um, and that goes for any kid going into college. I mean, I would tell them when you're trying to pick a direction, do some research, do some, um, you know, interviewing somebody that has that job. Um, maybe if you can shadow, if it's a place you can shadow, um, go and do that, but just make sure you've researched it somewhat. And then for radiology, if they've chosen that, um, because I know that most programs have an application process, obviously educate yourself on what you need to do and then be prepared to, to work hard, to get into it and be prepared to work hard while you're in there. Right. Because it's like learning a whole new language. We don't learn this stuff back in you know, middle school. We don't like, we learn a little bit of math and we learn that through high school. You don't learn x-ray that way. And so um, it can be quite rigorous, 
Um, and especially again, if you have, you know, life responsibilities, you have kids, you have to work, you've got to find time to study. But I do tell them um, that even though I say all those things, it's not to scare them, it's just to prepare them. If you're prepared, then you're going to be successful. If you go in not prepared, then it's likely that something will jump in your way. Right, right. One last question. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to someone that's wanting to go into leadership? The advice I would give is to make sure that you are willing to be open-minded, even have an open heart, um, and just be able to to learn about other people. Um, Be open to who other people are. Um, because the biggest thing about leadership is that you're leading other human sure. beings right. and everybody is going to have a various varying personalities, varying thoughts, that sort of thing. And you just need to be open-minded. Um, I think someone that is too close minded, um, and tries to lead will have a gr- difficulty along the way right. is the easiest way to say it. Um, and I, I feel like that's one thing is being able to sit back and and learn who you're working with before responding or before developing some kind of you know, action, you know, right, right, with what you do. I got so. it. Amanda, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, you're welcome. You're, thank you for having me again. Well, thank you. All right, everyone, that is it for the Icon Leadership Show. You can find the show anywhere you get your podcast. You can find us at roguemedianetwork.com. Or you can email us at iconleadership at gmail.com or our website, which is iconleadership.org.